Well, what do you get when you send 250 pounds of gear, 20 young teenagers, 13 tents and canoes, four adults, two guides, all down a river for about 110 hours? A whole lot of uncontrolled momentum, let me tell you. I actually did this. I was canoeing down. um, I had been canoeing before, but I was certainly no expert. I'd logged about four or five, maybe five hours of canoeing time. So, So when the guide started to explain our trip, he had my full attention. I don't know if he had everyone else's, but first he talked about uh, our gear. He passed out our gear, how to pack our tents, how to pack our sleeping bags, how to put our food and clothes not only in the canoe, but into a space that would keep them dry, keep the canoe balanced. That was really important information. Then he explained paddling, which might seem like a boring thing, but there's actually a correct way to hold a canoe paddle. And then there's three different strokes that he taught us that would allow us to steer if we were in the right position. See, if you're in the front, you just get to be the power. You either get to go on the right or on the left. You don't really get to have any say in steering. But if you're in the back, then you actually have control of the boat. And so he explained how to have control of the boat. And then finally, he explained the rapids. Now, at this time, I noticed that almost every single one of these teenagers were not really paying attention. But when the word rapids came up, ooh, they rapidly got their attention. And so they sort of, sort of paid attention. And he talked about how you need to stay centered in the bottom of your canoe, on your knees, and you got to hold your paddle, not the sides of the canoe. Hold your paddle. That's very important. And then continue to paddle, and paddle strong. Paddling hard does not mean fast. It means strong and smooth. I'm not sure how many people heard this, but then he grabbed the sides of the canoe and said, don't do this. Ah! And then he had everyone's attention. But then it was over. <laughs> so we went out to the, to the side of this shore, and we got divided up into our partners. We put all our stuff in the canoe. I walked to the back of my canoe, and this young, bright, energetic gal, she came up to me and she said, could I be the rudder and you be the power? Now, I didn't freak out, I didn't flip out, but I don't know if you've ever been camping and had a black fly buzz in your ear and like make a little dance party in there. That's kind of the off-balance-ness that I had at that moment. What? Sure. Not really about me anyway. You go ahead. You take the back. I walked to the front. I held the boat, and off we went. She was going to steer and I was going to be the power. Uh, This trip was not exactly going as I expected, but, you know, we smoothly went down this river, completely unaware of the storms that we were about to face. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an expectation on one thing, but then it goes over here. Not necessarily disappointed, but missed. How do you respond when your expectations are missed? How do you um, respond when the storms of life throw you out of balance? And 
how do you keep calm and keep paddling, metaphorically, when we go through the storms in our life? Because we're all going to face storms. If you haven't faced storms in your family and with your friends, then you will. You'll face storms about how you feel about yourself, how you feel about if the question of if you're loved unconditionally. If you're accepted by these people, these family and friends, are you unconditionally accepted? You'll face storms in your identity, wondering who you are and if you are what you do and if you if you, what you do matters beyond just today. You'll face storms with your choices, and you'll face storms in your future. No matter how old you are, you always are thinking about what's ahead. On the river, it was called a sea 2 where you could see two. And when the river bent, you couldn't see to the next place. And so there's always a future that we can't really, really see, that we might not even fully understand. Even if we place people in our lives that have gone before us, we'll face these storms of the future. And if I choose this, where will it lead? And if I choose that, where will it lead? And then finally, I think most of us, if not all of us, have faced storms in our faith. And yet we continue to face storms in our faith of what we believe and where we place our trust. And today, we look at what we need to replace so that we can ride through these storms. Not just survive them, but actually have some momentum and ride through them. Now, last week, we talked about this idea of momentum. We started this series talking about This, at the beginning of the summer, at least for people in the Midwest, momentum begins, Memorial Day, it changes for us, and we want to ride that through. Now, it doesn't just mean starting and growing and keeping momentum. This actually is more of a momentum that we don't have to struggle for. It's more of a momentum that we can ride like we're riding a river. And it's God's momentum. It's not ours. And the only way we can shift into God's momentum. We talked about it last week. Is by spending time in God's presence. That's the only way our batteries will be recharged, we said. We need to plan time with God and be intentional about it. We need to specifically worship God. And we need to daily hear God's word. But that was last week. See, even if we do that, even if we replace and recharge our, ourselves, our spiritual energy, if you will, we will still run into storms. And so today we look at this idea of replacing burnout with balance, and we'll talk about what that means. But we see the story in Scripture that, that speaks to this in Mark chapter 4. Might be a familiar story to some, but in Mark chapter 4, if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible like this that you got from us, it's page 815. Um, in Mark, we've seen Mark start his tour. He's, he's, uh, Jesus, he's telling about how Jesus has started a, a ministry tour. He's been baptized. He's gone off and taught. He's healed. He's done it on the Sabbath or their holy day. He's gone back and forth across a, a lake, and, and crowds are following him. He's getting quite popular. And so at the beginning of this chapter, it says that Jesus began to teach by the lake. So that a crowd so large gathered around him that he had to get into a boat 
go off from shore while the people sat on the water's edge and listened. And the writer makes it sound like this went on pretty much all day. Because at the story we're going to see, it says evening came. But right before that, it says, with many similar parables or stories, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they can understand the whole crowd. In fact, he did not say anything to them without using a parable, which is code for there was a lot of, huh, I don't really get that. But this is really important. When he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So it was kind of like he double taught. He started early in the morning teaching to the crowd, but then every story that he told the crowd, he had to re-explain to his disciples. We pick it up in verse 35 of chapter 4. It says, that day when evening came, or late in the day, he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in a boat as he was. Other boats came along. And a huge storm came up, and waves beat against it and poured into the boat, threatening to sink it. But Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? So he got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Be quiet, calm down. Then the wind stopped, and it, the sea, was dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you so cowardly? Do you still not have faith? And they were overwhelmed with fear and said to one another, Who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. This story fascinates me because no matter how many times I read it, I find something new. God tells me something about my own life and about, and about Jesus. And, and in, when I, every time I've read this, I'm, I, I think Jesus has just got to be exhausted. He's taught all day. Then he's retaught to his disciples. And he's got to just be so, so tired that that's why he can sleep through a storm. Because no one would be able to sleep through a storm without being exhausted. And yet, I don't necessarily know that that's the case. He just might be at rest. I don't think he's burned out. You know, someone who burns the candle at both ends is called not very bright. Because they're not going to burn very long. And Jesus doesn't seem to move hurriedly through his life. So he doesn't seem to be burning the candle at both ends. So he's not burned out. A burned out teacher stops caring about their students and their subjects. Burned out students, they don't don't finish. They don't graduate. I don't think he's burned out. But I think a lot of us would fall into the burned out category. Because life just continues to move faster and faster and faster for us. 
And so I thought about this, how do you know if you're approaching the burned out category? Or how do you know if you've actually arrived at destination burnout, population you? Well, here you go. Um, if your expectations are not met and you're immediately c- irritated and it's noticeable, you're probably approaching some burnout. If the storms roll into your life and your anger flares up so much that you freak out, you're probably approaching a burnout. If people and tasks start to crowd your life and you just want to hide from them, you might be getting a little burned out. If your response is when that happens, this crowding happens, you know, it's just too much. There's too much to do, but I have to get it all done. You are definitely on your road to burnout. If you hear it's too much and you respond with, I know it's too much, so I better work faster, you're definitely on the road to burnout. And finally, if you respond with, it's too much, I have to get it all done at one time, so I'll just multitask and do it all at the same time. Destination, burnout. Population, us. At least, at least admit, there's a possibility of burnout. And Jesus shows us how to replace the burnout with balance. See, Jesus had this balance that I see in this story and so many others. This balance meaning that Jesus knew how to live his earthly life in God's momentum. God's momentum was what Jesus was learning as he did this. First thing I see is this patient pace that is part of God's momentum that Jesus seems to learn. This patient pace is is a is a a speed at which he lives, where sometimes he goes faster and sometimes he goes slower, but he's never in a hurry. He, he didn't heal everyone. That's hard to hear, but he didn't heal everyone. He didn't, he didn't teach everything. He just moved at this sacred or patient We would call this today, Jesus had margin in his life. I don't know if you've ever tried to read a book without any margins. No white space? It's not a pleasant book to read. It might save a few pages, but nobody really wants to read that kind of a book. Um, Jesus allowed time to wait and time to engage in his pace. It says, late in the day... He said, let's go across to the other side. See, the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by cities, even 2,000 years ago. It is a crowded place, so there are only pockets of quiet. It says that Jesus went into the wilderness to get alone. Jesus went to, to solitary places for time to pray. Jesus knew that he had to spend this time with God to recharge his spiritual batteries, but he also knew that he had to build in this margin to live this pace. He had to have this sacred space so that there was a little time to wait and time to engage. And he does this. He says, let's go across to the other side. They took him in the boat that he was teaching in, and other boats came along. So in order to do that, 
Jesus had to say no to the crowds. The crowds signify popularity. If you like to please people, this is a hard one. If you're ever going to have a sacred pace or a patient pace, you have to say no to the popularity. Jesus, in fact, I would say, said no to his friends. The disciples are in the boat, and he's explained all the parables to them. And he knows if he rests, he'll not have to talk to them. It's not that he doesn't like them. It's not that there is a problem. I don't see any of that in the text. I just see the reality that he goes to the back of the boat, and he sleeps, and he disengages from his friends. He not only says no to the popularity, he says no to these close friends. If we can't say no, we can't ever have margin. He chooses to go to the back of the boat. The people on this canoe trip that flipped over the first and flipped over the fastest when we got to the first patch of rough water were the two canoes that were packed the fullest. They hit that water, they were already out of balance, and they flipped out. Literally, sort of, too. But but we have to figure out how to say no. And sometimes saying no is so hard that I think sometimes we just can't even start with saying no. Maybe we start with pondering. When I was 21, I I had the opportunity to go into another state and work, and uh, I ended up in Denver for a couple weekends. And at this, in Denver, I ended up at the home of one of the really, really well-known professors of of youth ministry and uh, ministry in general at the time. And so I'm sitting there in this guy's house, just kind of all ears, wondering what the magic bullet was. What was the secret to you know, being a a phenomenal husband, even though I wasn't married, or or being a good dad, even though I didn't have any kids and wasn't sure I should have kids. But I just wanted to soak up the wisdom that was in this house, or that I thought was in this house. And and he wasn't home yet, so we were kind of waiting for him. And their 13-year-old rushed in the door, and it was towards the end of school. And he said, Mom, there's this co-ed party. And I know I haven't gotten any co-ed parties before, but this is my first one. I really want to go to this party. And I need to know in the next five minutes if, you know, can you call Dad and, and ask him to go so that I can go. And so-and-so will pick me up in an hour. I love you. Hi. And the mom just never missed a beat. I'll, I'll never forget this. She's like, she pauses, and she looks up because we were having a conversation, and she goes, well, honey, if, if you need to know right now, uh, I, I need to process that with your father. So I'm not going to answer you right now. You telling me I can't go? No, I, I'm saying that I just need some time to process that with your dad. But I need to know now. If you need to know now, the answer is no. But if you give me a couple hours, I'll process it with your dad, and then maybe you can go. It doesn't sound like the party's right away. It just sounds like you want to know right away. I soaked up that story and that message so quickly because it was the most profound pace, the most profound patience that I'd ever witnessed. How do you stop and savor 
moments with patience. If saying no is too hard, how do you savor patience to have moments to process? Call it margin, call it whatever you need. Jesus allowed for the space so that when the storms inevitably came, which he knew they would, he was able to stay balanced in his life and in that boat. Second thing I see in the story is that Jesus learned this pervading peace that was God's momentum. It wasn't just the pace, it was the peace that God's momentum had. It didn't mean the boat wouldn't rock, and it didn't mean that that peace meant calm water. Sometimes I think we just want everything to be okay. In our homes, we say, as long as, or in our relationships, in our friendships with our roommates, as long as we're not fighting, things must be fine. No, it is a peace that goes so much deeper than that. Because Jesus, again, he knew the storms would come. So, so it wasn't that he was in la-la land. He actually knew that one of those storms would be the sacrifice of his own life. He'd never actually calmed the storm before that we see in the scripture before this. But he knew that God could calm storms. If God could speak the world into existence, if God could speak the, the skies and the weather into existence, then God certainly could start or stop a storm. But I think the peace has more to do, or less to do with the storm, and more to do with who's steering the boat. Go with me for a second. If I'm totally honest, I was really thrown off by this young, sweet gal asking to steer the boat because I just didn't trust her. She was not paying attention during the instructions, and I had five hours of canoeing experience more than she did, or four. I didn't want her to steer the boat. I didn't trust her to keep us in the right direction. That's just me having a moment of honesty. In fact, when we came to the first set of rapids, I'm trying to go, and I'm trying to power. I'm trying to be the power. There's a rock there. Watch out for that one. Oh, watch out for that. There's a giant stick over there. You know, it, sound, it looks like the chute's about five feet over. Should I switch sides? And, and I look back, and she's... And, and half her paddle's going in the water, and she's not really paying attention. I'm scared! And I'm like, I'm a little scared too, but... We hit one of the rocks, and we hit this other rock, and it was not pretty. In fact, four canoes flipped. There's only 13. We're down to six. Six of them have gone down. Every one of them has a tent, by the way, so every one of them knows if the tent gets wet, that means we're going to have going to be a little wet to sleep. Somehow we made it through that, and then we got to switch partners, but it wasn't, pr- it wasn't pretty. I didn't flip out on her, but I was a little freaked out, and I was freaked out because I wasn't in control. Each of us is really tempted to steer our lives. And if we have a faith, or we've grown up in church, or we would call ourselves Christians, then not only are we tempted to steer our lives, but we are tempted to say, Jesus, you sit in the front and paddle. Be the power. I'll steer. Now, we may not say it that arrogantly, but I think deep down that's what we mean. 
I just want Jesus to be the power for my life. I just don't want him to be the authority for my life. And in this story, we see a man who doesn't get even thrown off balance by his friends saying, don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to die? He gets up and he speaks to the waves and they, his disciples, are the ones that freak out. It, it says literally they feared a great fear because they didn't know peace. Literally and figuratively. The Prince of Peace, the one who could calm the storm, the one who just calmed the storm, they didn't even know. But Jesus, on the other hand, he has peace in the boat. He has peace when he rests. He has peace in the storm. He has peace when he commands it from the wind and the waves. And he has peace in the stillness. This peace was that all was going to be well, even in a storm. Because he knew his father was in charge and that he was good. As you think about your life, where do you need pervading peace? A sense that all is well amidst the storm. Where do you need to get out of the back of the boat and move to the front and say, I will take responsibility for what I need to be responsible for and I will give you responsibility for what I shouldn't be responsible for. Uh, one author, Dr. Uh, Kirk Jones, calls this making a peace treaty with Jesus. You literally write peace treaty on this card and you write the things down that you can't be in charge of. Other people's thoughts, work situations outside of your control, uh, technically, children if you have them, roommates, <laughs> you write these things down and you say, I, I'm giving these to you. Help me to be responsible for me. The one thing that we can be responsible for is our response in those situations. And sure enough, I uh, see this young gal, she's trying to, she's actually engaged in the boat. She's steering again. She's got a new partner. I'm really proud of her. Her, her whole paddle is down in the water. Now, unfortunately, the young gentleman that's with her in the front is not providing much power, not providing much attentiveness, but, you know, he's trying, and I'm just praying, oh, Lord, give this girl a sense of pervading peace because there's a pretty big rapids that I was just told about and I'm a little concerned but lastly Jesus learned this powerful presence this is what God's momentum was it was not just the pace it was not just this sense of peace but it was this presence where he could give full attention and full presence to the situations that were right in front of him. There are so many stories in the scriptures where Jesus is walking along to do one thing and somebody interrupts him. And somehow he is able to patiently, peacefully pause, give his full attention to that person or situation, and then continue on 
with the next part of his life and the next part of his day. I don't know if you've done any studies on focused attention, but these are pretty pretty recent uh, studies that they've done, so don't quote me because I might not have the numbers exactly right, but they've looked at professionals who have to use social media, the phone, and email as part of their workday, just say it's eight hours. And they said if, if that professional was to shut those things off, do not disturb for about three hours in the morning, they actually get the equivalent of eight hours worth of work done in those three hours. Focused attention, not multitasking, focused attention, fully present in that situation. Because when Jesus was with his followers, when they were in that storm, he was able to sleep because all was well with him and God. Peace. Because he had made, pa- he had made space in his patient pace. And his disciples, all they're able to focus on is the storm. Do you see how big it is? Do you see this beating down on us? And we got to keep the keep paddling. And four of the guys are like, you guys are idiots. We're fishermen. We know how to do this. Why won't you listen to us? I'm making that part up, but it could have happened. Teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? All they can focus on is the storm. And they didn't focus on who was in the boat with them. In these moments of presence, do you look more at the crisis at hand or the one who is the creator of all that is good and all that is calm? See, if we're ever going to have powerful presence like Jesus, we need to start replacing what we know about storms with what we know about Jesus. And if you don't know a lot about Jesus, it's okay. He doesn't take much. He says, follow me and learn. In fact, Jesus is the one who speaks to storms. Have you ever tried to speak to a storm? Jesus' peace and pace and presence, if you've said yes to him, is in your life. The Holy Spirit has given you the power to speak Quiet. Be still. There's some amazing, amazing things that happen when you speak to your storms. That's God's momentum. His pace, his peace, and his presence. It's what keeps Jesus balanced throughout his life, centered in who he is and whose he is. And it's the thing that we need for us to have that balance, to ride the momentum of that river. And when we looked at these final rapids, and I saw this girl, and she was paddling strong, not quick, strong. And her whole oar was going in, and this kid was in the front, this fine young man who was kind of, all over, and she was saying, I think there's a rock. Could you paddle on the left? And he said, what? What? Oh, okay. And so he'd paddle on the left, and she's like, okay, wait, now we've got to go over to the other side, and she's doing her little fancy, you know, J-stroke. I was God. And, of course, uh, she wasn't getting a lot of help over here. Her partner was kind of like, he was watching the canoe over here, and then he was watching the canoe over here, not very much focused attentiveness, presence, And they hit the rock, and the first thing, the first rock they hit, he grabs the sides of that canoe, 
his oar goes out of his hands because he grabs the canoe and he's like, ah! She freaked out a little bit, but, you know, she was 14, it's fine. She learned. But this kid just didn't have the presence to say, hey, Jesus, I know you got my back. We're going to be okay through these rapids. These guides and these leaders, they would never take us through a situation that would, that would really kill us. They might bring us to the edge to get us to trust, but doesn't God do that? Because a calm water would be a boring way to live. Most of us don't get stretched and grown in our faith, in our being, when we don't go through some rapids. So don't be shocked when storms pass through your life. Say, God, how can I be balanced in your momentum? Give me your pace. Help me to build margin. Where do I need to say no or at least savor a moment to process? God, where do I need to make peace treaties to give up things that I really shouldn't have control of? And God, where and how do I need to have focused attention so I can have your presence? If you do that, you will always have the balance to ride through those storms. Pray with me. God, I thank you for the twists and the turns that are in our life. God, though I don't thank you for every storm, and I don't think anyone in this room would thank you for every storm, we do acknowledge your presence in the storm. We acknowledge that sometimes, God, you might even place a storm in our path so that we can really truly learn your momentum, your pace, your peace, and your presence. God, I pray for those that are are feeling completely burned out. God, who would even accuse you of not caring in the storm, I pray that they would see no anger or frustration in you. But they would see you speaking to the storm. To seeing them exhausted, burned out, they would see you loving them they would see you guiding them, healing them, leading them to a place where they can go through the rapids, they can go through challenges, and they can come out on the other side knowing deeper and more fully who you are. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you like that, God, I pray that they would would acknowledge you, that they would inquire Maybe it just starts with saying, I've been in the back of the boat trying to steer my life, and you are the one who seems to be able to be the one who can steer my life. You're God. You died for me, and you love me. I let you in the back of the boat to guide my life, lead my life, and be my Savior. God, we pray that for each of us. We thank you for this story. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your, your momentum, God. Guide us, lead us, love us. Amen.